Hey guys! Hi! We're back with another episode of Misery Manor. I'm Cody. I am Emily. And before we get started, you know what to do. Leave your manners at the door. We are back, 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 back again. And um, it's been a whirlwind, let me just say that. We fucking went to record yesterday to give you an episode on Tuesday morning. And it started off with, we could not figure out how to hook up our machine. I'm like, we have done this so many times. Why is this not working? Come to find out, we are missing a piece. A little bitty, bitty, bitty piece. Don't know where it went. Maybe the cats ran off with it. The rabbits. Somebody took it. So I'm like, you know what? Let's do it for the people who listen. So I drive all the way to Emily's <laughs> house, which is like 25 minutes at 9 o'clock at night. We record. Sounds great. Sounds good. Emily edit, edited and it sounded great. Upload it. I go to look, and um, there was, like, one view on it. So I'm like, well, this is very odd. And, yeah, there was some malfunction, of like, a corrupt file that we had. So now we are redoing it. So if you didn't get the episode on Tuesday, that is why. So this will be, if everything goes well, will be released on Wednesday, which is tomorrow. And then, so we're going to release this on Wednesday. We're going to release a Patreon-exclusive episode on Wednesday as well. So right. if you want to see that, it's another case, a great case. Um, go be a Patreon. It's in our bio. Um, and just sign up for any of those tiers. Um, and we'll be doing those weekly as well. So you'll get three episodes a week if you're a Patreon. So Exactly. And any amount will get you the content and the right. access to right. any episodes. Along with like merch and like stickers and a card and all that good stuff. So yes, if you want more episodes, please be a Patreon. Um, we would love to have you and we're excited about those episodes that are coming out. So let's give this a try again. I hope the podcast gods are on our side as I literally just did this 12 hours ago. <laughs> For real. But it was such a good episode too. So, so I'm kind of bummed that we yes, lost. And your... this one is very insane, guys. And the very end of this story is going to kind of leave you with your mouth. Like what the hell? Because this took me to a, for a curveball at the very end and, like, was not expecting this at all. But, so, I hope I grabbed your attention. So, this is going to be the case of 12 nurses that were in nursing school that were, I'm sorry, not 12, 8. Is that oh, why you looked at me crazy? Yes, I was like, <laughs> did we add some on? So, there's 8 nurse, or there's 9 ver- uh, nurses involved in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them were held hostage, you know, tortured, bound. All that crazy stuff. So I'm going to get into the background of the murderer. So Richard Speck was born in Illinois on December 6th, 1941, and he was part of a huge family. So he was actually the seventh child out of eight. His mom's name was Mary Margaret, and his dad's name was Benjamin Franklin Speck. So Richard was pretty much the baby of the family. His brothers and sisters were a lot older than him, and many of them had already moved out of the house. They were married. They had children, they had families of their own, they were kind of doing their own thing, all while Richard was just still pretty long, young. So to him, he kind of felt like an only child just because he was so significantly younger than the others. So the family was not too well off. However, his father, uh, Benjamin, did everything in his power to provide for his family and give them the best life possible. So he worked several jobs. He was a farmer. He was a packer. And he would just pick up little jobs here and there. And by packer, I mean like he would like pack um, um, like stock things for like grocery stores oh, and like, stuff and like packer. pack okay. stuff. So he was a farmer, a packer, and he did other little jobs here and there. Just when people in the town needed him, he would just do whatever he could just to have some more money. 
Now, the mother of Mary Margaret, as sweet as that name sounds, she's not very nice. Um, <laughs> although she was very, very, very religious, uh, she was the one that caused a lot of tension within the house. So she hated alcohol. Um, one time, Benjamin, her husband, had a sip of beer at a fish fry, and Margaret, Mary Margaret flipped the fuck out. Um, they ended up arguing about this one sip of beer for days and days and days to follow. Um, she would yell at him like how sinful it was and how it's a disgrace and he needs to pray about it and just how like the devil's got a hold of him and all this crazy shit. And he's like, dude, it's a fucking sip. Bitch, I'm thirsty. Oh, so um, unfortunately, though, Benjamin passed away at a really young age of 53 from a heart attack. Um, and Richard is only six at this time. Oh, no. So Mary Margaret is absolutely distraught. Um, why you're wondering? Well, she's worried because they don't have any savings and she doesn't know how they're going to have any income coming in. She's not really particularly sad that he passed away. Um, she's just more worried about what are we going to do about money? So Mary meets this guy named Carl Rudolph Lindbergh and he was a successful traveling salesman. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was missing a leg. No, that has oh. nothing to do with anything really kind of, but I just wanted to throw that. So she is dating this uh, peg leg salesman, and he was a very, 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 very mean guy. So he loved to drink alcohol any chance he could get. So he would get drunk, and he would, like, start beating up on the kids, talking vulgar around them, just out of control, um, just slurring his words, super sloppy, destroying things in the house, just kind of like a nasty man. Like a pirate. Right. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking of, too. And, like... Not sure if it was love or, like, Mary being desperate, but she ends up marrying Carl, which is insane because he's an alcoholic, and she ripped Benjamin a new asshole just for one sip of beer. Right. Does he make money, though? No, he's, he does make a lot of money. Okay. That's um, so that's why. <laughs> so the family, they get married. The family packs up and moves to Dallas, Texas to be with Carl. So they would actually move to 10 different houses. Within um, the Dallas area? Within the Dallas area. So, like, as you can see... Richard is in this very unstable environment. Nothing is, you know, for certain. He's constantly having to pack up, leave. Um, and like he, so Carl would get drunk and he would look Richard in the face, slurring his words and say, I can't even stand the sight of you. That's why I will never adopt you as my own. So like, imagine being Richard. He's six or seven. Your dad just passed away. Your mom moves on and marries a raging alcoholic you move to another state, you're, and your new stepfather is constantly telling you how much he can't stand you. So, like, this did significant damage on um, Richard. What about the... You said he's the seventh of eight. Eight. Where's the eighth? Like one? a little baby. Oh, okay. He was so a little just... baby, yeah. So, this took a major toll on Richard. In fact, when Richard was in eighth grade, his teacher mentioned that Richard was terrified of even being looked at. He would keep his head down a lot. Um, he would never raise his hand to answer any of the questions for fear that the students would turn their attention to him. Um, and he was oft often seen alone. So, his teacher said, quote, he was sort of sulky. He didn't talk back. I mean, he was taught at home not to talk back. He was a loner. He didn't have any friends in class. And he just sort of seemed lost all the time. It just didn't seem like he ever knew what was going on. I don't even think I've ever seen him smile. I don't think um, I was even able to teach him anything. He was just always in a complete fog. That's sad. So Richard claimed that he did have some head trauma growing up later as a kid. Um... But a lot of people say, like, they don't know how accurate that is because he is a compulsive liar. Like, he said that one time he ran into a metal bar and it, like, punctured his brain. But, like, <laughs> his friends and family were like, when did that ever happen? Like, I don't remember that happened. And that's how he got his ear hole. Right. And he said that he fell, like, and bashed his head in, like, went bonk and just, like, knocked him out. Oh, he said it knocked him out for 90 minutes. Just, like, a bunch of crazy stuff. So none of that was confirmed, but that's what he told a lot of the people, hmm. a lot of people. So... A lot of his friends and the people that he encountered friends. said that he was just, like, there, like, in a fog, almost mm. in, like, a trance-like uh, state. A lot of people said that he would just sit there with his mouth half open, just like a fish, just, like, that staring. disgusting. Like, head down, hunched back, like, mouth open, just, like, gross. So, like, one of his acquaintances said, quote, he has a habit of staring stupidly into space with his mouth half opened. Ew. So just imagine that. So... Picture that. Now let's add this. So he becomes more and more self-conscious as he gets older and matured. He had really, really, really bad 
deep acne scars all over his face, Mm -hmm. which I can imagine, I mean, adult acne is real, but like, you know, growing up as a kid and you have acne, kids are mean and it's just horrible. So on top of that, he had horrible eyesight um, and he refused to wear glasses because he was worried about how he would look in them. Like the acne scars plus the glasses, (laughs) he was just like, that's just way... (laughs) too much for me like i yeah so he just refused altogether to wear um glasses okay so now he's 13 years old and richard started to get a little ballsy and he started to retaliate and fight back he started breaking into his stepfather's liquor cabinet and he would chug whiskey um carl would catch richard doing this and beat the shit out of richard um so he would do this over and over again. And then one day, Richard was caught doing it. Carl went over to beat him. And he was like, fuck no, I'm grown now. You're not going to do this to me anymore. So Richard started to threaten his stepfather. And he told him that he was going to take his crutches. And he was going to bash his head in if he ever touched him again. <laughs> Which I don't know why he has crutches. Like, that's what I'm like. The man's armpits must be so, so bruised. So sore and for tender. Ever. Like if that's... Or are they the ones that like they... You know those, like, old ones that your arm sits through? Yeah. Like the Forrest Gump ones? Could be. But he said he was going to take those crutches and bash his head in. And he was shocked because Carl was like, he listened. He was like, oh, okay. So this gave Richard, like, some confidence. So, so So much confidence that he actually dropped out of school. He found some friends. And, but this friend group was considered, like, the bad rebellious kids. So they would all get drunk together and go get, like, tattoos and do, like, makeshift tattoos as well. Um, so he was eventually covered in a bunch of tattoos, which this was actually how he ends up getting caught because someone recognized his tattoos. So let's go over some of the tattoos that he had. So he had a snake that wrapped around a knife on his arm, which I feel like I've seen a thousand of those in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Um, a skull with a pilot's helmet on and underneath it, it said, fuck you. Have that. (laughs) He had another one that said born to raise hell, which this is the actual tattoo that got him caught. Uh And then he also, this is really weird, he also had a West Texas Dickie bird on him, which I had to look with that man up. And basically, it's a bird with the head of an erect penis. So... Are you going to post a picture of it? Yeah, and I don't know what's the point of that, but... That's literally what it's called. A West Texas Dickie bird. (laughs) So... Oh! Dick. Dickie, yeah. Oh my god. But I don't know, like, there's no balls on it or anything. So... To preface, he's bad. He's getting into a lot of trouble. From ages 16 to 21, Richard would get arrested 42 times for breaking and entering, robbery, forged checks, violence against women, guns, you name it, he did it. And these are all like petty crimes. That's like in five years, right? Yeah. So Richard's probation officer said when, quote, when Richard is drinking, he will fight or threaten anyone so long as he has a gun or a knife. And his jail psychiatrist even said that he should be kept in maximum security and that he will 100% recommit crime if he's ever let go. And this is early on that she yeah. said this. And he is let go. Of course. So at 19, Richard became married to Shirley Annette Malone. And she was only 15 years old. Mm. And he met her at the good old Texas State Fair. <laughs> she, he probably saw her chomping on a corn dog or something. Oh, that West Texas dinky bird. <laughs> so Richard starts smooth talking this young girl. Um, so at this point, Richard is actually super sexually active and he had been treated for garnerea five separate times. Ew. I mean, ew. Right. So Shirley obviously didn't know this, but she was impressed with his maturity. Um, mm-hmm. She said she liked the idea of being with an older man. So they went on a few dates, and soon after, Shirley became pregnant, and they got married. He's 32? No, he is. So he's 19, and she's 15. Oh, where did I get 32 from? So they got, so she's pregnant, they get married, and that's just kind of like the norm back in the day. So, mm-hmm. but they were never actually truly in love or happy. One day, Shirley was at her mom's house, and she's like pretty far along at this point, so she was just kind of chilling. And she sees a vehicle roll up to her house, and it's Richard, her husband. But in the passenger seat, she noticed there's another girl. So Shirley's looking at the window when all of a sudden he just starts making out with this woman. And Shirley's confused. She's like, what the hell? She's like, I'm pregnant with your baby. What the fuck are you doing? And he said, well, there's nothing really you can do about it, can you? That poor other woman. Right. 
it's both women. Well, I know. So he would abuse Shirley verbally and physically daily. And emotionally, apparently. He would force her to have sex with him four to five times a day. And he would hold knives up to her if she ever disagreed with him or didn't want to. Um, And when he was bored torturing Shirley, he would just take it out on her mother um, and his mother-in-law, Ida. So going to Ida. So one day Ida starts getting all these random phone calls and they're sexual phone calls. And these men are calling her demanding sex. Mm -hmm. And Ida is like, what in the forky fork is going on here? (laughs) Like, I am an old lady. This must be a mistake. She tells these men, like, you clearly have the wrong number, baby girl. Like, (laughs) I am not the one. So they would reply in, like, this snarky sexual way. They'd be like, well, tell your son-in-law, Richard, to stop showing off your body at the bars then. Like, and she's like, what are you talking about? And they're like, yeah. He, he's showing me pictures of you. So it turns out Richard had stolen some photos of Ida from her house. And she's like at the beach having a fun time with her friends in the bikini. Like nothing sexual. She's just at the beach. Um, but he would take these photos with him to the bar and show them off to all the men. Um, and he would like kind of flop them on the table and be like, what's up, guys? Uh, this is um, Ida, my mother-in-law. She's super cheap. <laughs> She'll do anything that you want. You know, she's a slut. And she'd be like, and he would encourage them to give her a phone call. So he was pimping her. Pimping her out without her okay. permission. She's like, what the fuck? So when Ida told Richard, she was like, um, can you not do that, please? He gets up and he puts a knife up to her throat. Oh, shit. She did this in person. Yeah. So, yeah, he's telling her this. He's like, yeah, I did it. So she's like, well, stop doing that. He gets up. He's pissed. Puts a knife up to her throat and says, I will make you eat this fucking knife. So speaking of knives, Richard was like this weirdo that would like lift up his shirt in public to show off his knife on his waistband. At the bar, he would be seen by himself like cleaning his pocket knives, kind of twirling a little knife around. Like, what the shit? Do you think he, like, cleaned his fingernails with them? I was thinking, like, he cleaned his teeth out with them, stirred his cocktails and all that. (laughs) You think he was a cocktail drinker? But he loved, well, he liked whiskey. So, and he, but he loved showing off his knives. So after four years, nothing changed, and Shirley wants a divorce. Um, He should have just worked for Cutco. Something. So Richard would show up at her house all the time and be like, please, baby, give me another chance. I'll change. I love you. She's like, no, Richard, I am scared to death that you're going to hit our baby. I'm not doing this anymore. Um, So he replied, well, can I at least borrow your car when I need to? (laughs) So like he clearly has his priorities straight. So Shirley did end up giving birth to a beautiful, healthy baby girl named Robbie Lynn Speck. So back in Illinois, he's traveling town to town, creating all these little crimes here and there. So he meets a woman named Vigil or Virgil Harris. So she was 65 years old, a divorcee. She lived alone and made some extra money as a babysitter. So she would come home from her shift. Um, well, so one day she came home from her shift, took her coat off, and she began to start making dinner for herself. When a man with a slow country accent, much like Richard, grabs her from behind. So he immediately shows her this knife and says, don't fucking make a sound and you won't get hurt. So he blindfolds Virgil and he starts stripping her coat material into these long, thin strips. And as he's cutting them, he's looking at her and he says, you know, I've killed a woman before. If you don't take your clothes off, I'm going to rip them off myself. So Virgil, like, tries to reason with him. She's like, you don't have to do this. Like, I'm 65 years old. I'm a, you know, old woman. You don't want me. You seem like a very nice young man. Let's just sit on the couch and talk this through. And then she ends and she goes, are you Christian? So Richard replied, I came through the back door and I'm going to stay all night if I need to. But he didn't answer the question. And he's like, by the way, how long has it been since you got any? (laughs) And she's like, uh. One to five, yeah. So he forces her into the bedroom and he begins to, uh, begins to strip all of her clothes off while threatening her. Oh. Keep in mind, if I don't get what I want, I will kill you. So using the strips he cut up earlier, he ties Virgil to the bed and he rapes her and leaves. Um, and he just leaves. And Virgil later said in an interview that it, the rape lasted like two minutes. Like he was done very quickly. <laughs> But Virgil manages to, like, untie herself, and she runs to the neighbor's house where they rush her to the hospital. 
Oh, so she got herself untied. Right. And she wasn't hurt or anything, but obviously she'd just been raped. So they brought her to the hospital. So this is the crazy shit. So she is seen by Dr. J.D. Simmons, who come to find out he is the same doctor that delivered Richard when he was born. Oh. So, like, you brought this guy into the world, and now you are going to take care of the lady who he just fucking raped. Like, what are the odds of that? That is... Wait, where where are they? Li- oh, Dallas? No, at this point, they're um, back, back in, in Illinois. Yeah. I wonder if it's just, like, a really small town or something. So, um, so Richard is on the run at this point because little did he he know but the cops are going to like be after him very shortly and because obviously Virgil did tell but also come to find out he actually brutally murdered a bartender and stuck her in a pig pen and Richard was the prime suspect of course so they're already looking for him for this and this was just going to add fuel to the fire Mm -hmm. so he knew that he needed to get the fuck out of there right so he calls up one of, his, one of his sisters who's living in Chicago, and he's like, hey, can I move in with you? Like, I miss you. Like, let's reconnect. And her husband, Gene, was like, yeah, come on over. This might be a good time for us to, you know, reconnect as a family. So at first, Richard was on his best behavior. In fact, he, like, even helped them, like, build some um, furniture and stuff, but that was very short-lived. Um They would, imb- uh, so Richard's nieces would come over, and... Um, and they're like young and he would show off his knives to them, curse around them and talk about how many guys he has beat up in the past. So Gina's, like he's trying to impress them. Yeah. And they're young girls and they're friends. So Gene is sick of how lazy Richard is. And he's like, look, dude, I'm going to get you a job. In fact, I have one lined up. It's with the U S merchant Marines and you're going to be an apprentice seaman. So basically he's going to work on a, on a boat. Okay. And Richard's like, Ugh, fine. So his first day on the boat, he ends up getting super drunk and he starts getting into all these fights and with like the other seamen. And once they dock, the boss comes up to him and is like, you're fired. You're done. Today's your last day. Bye. And First and last. Right. So Gene, um, so uh, Richard tells Gene and Gene's like, are you fucking kidding me? So Gene was like, you know what? I'm going to drop you off at the Maritime Union Hall, which is a hiring place for seamen. Okay. And here's a little bit of cash. Get you a motel room and don't fucking call us until you get a job. You need to stay here until you get a job. And he's like, good luck, buddy. Have a good day. <laughs> so Richard said he was so embarrassed walking around the hiring center in his suitcases. He was like, I looked homeless. I looked like a loser. This hurt my pride so much. And like every single day in the hiring hall, he would attempt to get a job, but no one wanted to hire him. They said he did not care. He had horrible interviewing skills. He did not have the experience. Just like, remember, he didn't have the best personal skills either. So he was not getting a job. So he would live at this motel across the street and he would return day after day just to apply for more jobs, but had no luck. So every day on his walk to the town, um, to the hiring hall Mm -hmm. he would pass these group of townhomes that really piqued his interest so a little bit about the townhomes just to paint a picture there's six townhomes in total they were all two stories and they were all connected so like the ones by you yeah exactly so three of the townhomes were rented out by families and the other three were rented out by nearby nursing school uh, a nearby nursing school to board some nurses because they didn't have enough room on campus okay. in their dorms so like i said six belonged to families and the other three were, i mean sorry three belonged to families and the other three were occupied by nursing students okay so every day richard would walk past and see these nurses and they would catch his eye so back then the nurses wore these beautiful like white bright colored dresses they were like down to their ankles and they would wear a white hat that like would sit in the back of their on the back of their head Mm -hmm. they looked beautiful and he would stop and watch these nurses and he later said that it gave him a lot of pleasure in knowing that he could sit there and watch these nurses and they would have no idea that he was uh, like lurking around and watching them that's that's very scary so out of these nurses there was one nurse in particular that really 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 caught his eye he thought she was so beautiful, and at the uh, the first time he saw her, she was wearing this beautiful yellow dress. Now, he would never approach the women. Instead, he would go to the bars at night, hoping that they would end up there, um, or he would just flirt with other women. Now, these women never went to the, like, the nurses never went to the bars. They were either, like, studying or working or doing whatever. Mm-hmm. So one night at the bar, he did meet a woman named Ella Ray Hooper. Now, Ella was the mother of 10, 
So, and she had been dealt some very rough cards in life. So she enjoyed going to the bars. It helped her take her mind off some of the unfortunate events that she was going through currently. Um, but she decided to leave the bar that night and walk to her car to head home. It was getting kind of late. So she's walking to her car mm-hmm. and she hears a voice behind her. Where are you going? So Ella ignores the voice. She keeps walking faster. She was like, if I keep walking and I ignore him, like it'll stop. But it didn't. The voice said, hey, you listen to me when I talk to you. That is so scary. So Ella's like walking faster and faster. She's like, oh my God, there's my car. Let me get to it. Let me get to it. And the voice says, hey, wait, let's just go for a drink. Let's go to the shipyard inn and let's have a drink. No, is that a That's where he lives. So he wanted her to have a drink at his house or his his room. So Ella replies, no, that's okay. I'm just going to go home. Thank you, though. Um, It's getting kind of late. And the voice um, replied, what if I force you to have a drink with me? Now, Ella, who's like a strong woman, she had a gun in her purse, in fact, was like, "Um, nobody can force me to have a drink. If I want one, I would just get one. You got it? I love Ella. So that's when she felt the footsteps get closer and closer to her until she felt something sharp against her back. And it was a knife, and she knew it. He said, you don't see anyone around you, do you? Look around. Nobody. Nobody's here. I could stab you right now, and no one would know who did it. Do what I tell you, and you won't get hurt. All I want to do is ask you some questions. It's no biggie. You need to come with me if you don't want to get hurt. Where do you think I'm going to take you, by the way? Somewhere to rape you? Listen, I'm not going to rape you. If I take you to bed, though, I will give you $20. That is... So Ella is scared shartless, and she goes with him to his room at the Shipyard Inn, um, which is just around the corner. So along the way, he continues to threaten Ella with this knife. Um, And along the way, he's asking her questions. He's like, do you like young men like myself? Would you like to live with a young man like myself? Ella's like, well, I've never really thought about it. She's like, I got 10 fucking kids that I live with. Right. And Richard was like, so if I were to tell you to take off all of your clothes and get in bed with me, would you? Ella was like, well, I guess I don't have a choice. Richard replied, so what if I let you out of here afterwards? Would you tell anybody what we did? And she's like, no, 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 of course not. Because she wanted to, like, leave. Yeah. So after that, he forced Ella to take off all of her clothes um, and get in bed. And he proceeded to rape her. After he was done, he was like, all right, you're free to go. But remember, if you tell anybody, I will come find you and I will kill all of your 10 kids, too. And even if it takes me 100 years, I will kill him. That's such a weird statement at the end. I remember you saying that. Yeah. So he keeps reminding her this as he's walking her down the steps of the shipyard inn. Um, So he keeps telling her this. And he's like, hey, meet me at the bar tonight. And let's just discuss getting an apartment together. So Ella's like trying to play cool. She's like, yeah, sounds good. I will definitely be there tonight. Like, I'll see you soon. She's like sweating fucking bullets. So she leaves, gets in her car rushes home, looks in her purse for the gun, and it's missing. I hate that. So she was like, oh my god, he took the gun. So, So let's go, let's start talking about the nurses. I'm going to pause there. So let's talk about the nurses. So South Chicago Community Nursing School. There was 30 girls in this program, and Mm -hmm. they were all eager and excited to be graduating in just a few short weeks. Half of those 30 girls lived in the townhomes that I mentioned earlier, units 2311, 2315 and 2319, which is the case, or which is the unit that we're going to discuss. So there was a house mom that lived with them in 2315, and all of the girls would have to report to her before curfew, and curfew was at 1230 a.m., so not too bad. We would be fine with that curfew. I, yeah. <laughs> um, bunk beds were also installed to accommodate all of the women, which they actually didn't mind. They loved it because, you know, it kept them all together, and it's kind of just yeah. like a little nursing sorority. Like a little sleepover. Yeah. So the girls had their house mom, um, and all of the girls were instructed to follow a strict set of rules. So rooms must be tidy and neat. You were not allowed to use the laundry room unless it was your day to use it. No back talking, no loud music, no parties, and you must check in before curfew. But the mom didn't live in every... Like no, there was... she lived in this, the direct middle. So okay. 2311, and then there was a unit in between. 15, then, then 19. Yep, okay. Exactly. 
So in Unit 2319, which, like I said, this is the one that we're going to focus on, there was five American nursing students and three Filipino exchange nurses. So just keep in mind, the three exchange nurses were not students. They were brought over here from the Philippines to work at a nearby hospital. So the three exchange nurses came from very, very, very poor families in the Philippines. They were far away from their family. They were far far away from their friends um, just to support and work um, you know, all day, every day, and they would send a bunch of their money back to their families. So right. their main priority was just working, making money. So even though they were not students, they still had to follow the same rules and regulations that the other students in the house did. So the two groups never really mixed. The American students kept it themselves. They were either busy studying together, going to class together. Um, and when the exchange nurses weren't working, they kept it themselves as well. Um, not only was there like a cultural difference, but the two groups were just in different stages of their lives, but they were no, by no means like mean to each other. Right. They all loved each other. They were all friends. They just connected on different levels. Right. So I'm going to go over the nurses that lived in there and just to give you some backgrounds of them, just so you can kind of connect with the uh, victims of this case. So inside the townhome, we have Gloria Davey. So Gloria was considered the golden girl of the school. She was the leader of her friend group, the leader in the townhome. She was voted sweetheart of the FFA, and she was independent, driven, charismatic, and she was even president of the nursing association. When she wasn't studying, she was sewing or writing poetry. Now, Gloria was described as driven, independent, intelligent, headstrong, poised, creative, but snippy when she didn't like what you were doing. Okay. So then we have Suzanne Ferris. So now she was studying to be a pediatric nurse. She was the only one that would really attempt to bring everybody together. She would throw these parties in the townhome, invite other girls. Um, she would encourage them to put on their rollerblades and they would skate around the house dancing and singing to classical music. Um, she was the wild one and she was described as pretty, perky, and popular. Suzanne's father lovingly called her Cookie and reportedly kept moaning, cookie, 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 after he was informed of her death. No. So then we had Patricia Matusik, who was only 20 years old. She was a champion swimmer and was also engaged to a fellow nurse. Patricia was born to a working class immigrant parents in Chicago's far south side. Matusik was described as sweet, assertive, funny, and full of life. So then we have Nina Jo Schmel. She was like the mom of the friend group. She was very poised. She was gracious. She volunteered in her free time to help elderly and needy patients. She also had a pet seahorse, that- which I thought was cool. She actually had two seahorses, and one of them actually gave birth while she was um, like to male- 23 babies. <gasps> she is biting me. So... um. So Nina was also a cat, lo- like a cat lover, Elvis Presley fan, and she was described as a good student, well liked, quiet, but had like a, a really good sense of humor. So next we had Pamela Wil- Wilkening, but the girls just called her Willie. Um, she told her friends that she wanted to be a nurse more than anything in the world. Her favorite quote was, "In miles to go before I sleep." Only days before her murder, Pamela called her mother to tell her that she was actually too busy to go home and visit that weekend, and this was the last that the mother would ever hear from her daughter. Then we have Mary Ann Jordan. So she was 21 years old, and she loved rock and roll. She was athletic. She loved being active. She loved being outdoors, and she was also very, very, very close to her family. Uh, Friends described her as having a wicked sense of Irish humor. So next, I'm going to get into the Filipino exchange nurses. So we have Valentina Pazion, who was 24. Her family was very, very poor. She actually had to wait two years for her older brother to finish college before she could even attend school. She sent half of her salary back to her family every month and never complained or questioned it. She would oftentimes write um, her sister letters, and she even said one, one time, quote, Sometimes I can't help it to shed tears. You know, it's really hard being a thousand miles away from home. Mm. Um, Valentina had actually only arrived to the U.S. two months prior. Um, And when asked about Chicago's weather, she said it was horrible. And she described the hospital patients to be as large as water buffalo. (laughs) 
Then we have Marlita Gargayo. She was 23 years old, and she also came from a very poor family in the Philippines. She was beautiful. She would often get hit on by her male patients. Um, she loved to sing. She loved to dance, and she was just very happy-go-lucky. Lastly, there was uh, Corazon, who just went by Cora. She was one of eight children in a very, very poor family, and she was the fun, spunky girl of the group, and she could always make anybody smile. So there's all nine of the women living in uh, Unit 2319. So July 13th, 1966 rolls around and the girls are at home or making their way home from either school or work that day. Um, they would get home, they would eat, they would study, they would shower, just relax, the norm. So one by one, they were trickling in and by 1030, all of the women were back at home except for three. And it was Suzanne, Gloria, and Marianne. Okay, so Cora goes downstairs to lock the door, turn off the lights, and she went up to her room to get ready for bed. Uh, before she turned off the light, Merlita was like, wait, 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 let's pray first. So Cora uh, left the light on, but she slowly just started to drift off into a sleep. Okay. Little did they know that Richard Speck had much different plans for the girls that night. Ever since he saw the one nurse in the yellow dress, he just could not get her out of his head. So that night, Richard Speck dressed in all black and showed up to Unit 2319 and made his way through the back door. With his knife, he picked the lock and made his way inside very slowly and crept upstairs. So he actually, so all of the rooms were like in this long hallway, mm -hmm. if you can imagine it, and like there's probably like four different bedrooms. So he went to the furthest room, which was Cora's room, and he knocked on the wall or knocked on the door fault four times. So by so herself? She Marlita's in there with her. Okay. So Cora wakes up, she opens the door, and she's like, I wonder who this could be. And as soon as she opened the door, the door swung open and Richard walked in with a gun. That so same gun that he stole from that girl. So like Instantly chaos. Instantly. So all of the ladies in the room, so Marlita and Cora were like screaming and crying and he's like waving the gun at them and he orders them to shut up. He didn't want to scare the other girls and he marches the women uh, room to room to gather up all of the nurses in the house. He wanted them all in one single room. So he made them sit in a circle around him and quiet, quietly and he turned off the lights, just had like a single lamp on. So they asked him, like, what do you want from us? And he smiled and started to laugh. And he was like, I want some money. <laughs> so the girl starts saying, like, okay, I have $5. I have $1. I have, you know, $10. So Richard escorted each one of the girls to their purse with a gun to their head and forced them to, like, clean out their purse. So all in all, he only got $25. And he's like, this is not going to cut it. Um, so right around this time... Um, oh, sorry. I want to preface this. Uh, we don't know if this is true or not. And you reminded me of this last night. So apparently he mm. went in there to only um, rob the girls. Mm. But one of the girls retaliated and spit in his face. And that's what pissed him off. So that's why he said he committed the murders. That he was like, I had no intention on killing them. One of them spit in my face and it made me mad. I think it was Marlena is what I was trying to say last night. Marlita? The one that was with Cora. Merlita, yeah. 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 So right around this time, so keep in mind, there's three girls that are still not there, okay? So okay. right around this time, Gloria is getting home from dinner with her fiancé. Um, and they had a lot of champagne. So Gloria actually walks in very drunk. She's like stumbling up the stairs. Of course, that it was super loud. Um, but she, it took her a while to go inside because Gloria and her fiance sat in his car for a while and they were just kind of jamming out to their favorite song. And the song was called You'll Never Walk Alone. Um, so the lyrics go like this. When you walk through the storm, hold your head up high. Don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the road, there's a golden sky. Walk on. You'll never walk alone. So they're singing the song together. It's kind of just like their couple song. They're newly engaged. Um, little did they know the other nurses were being held hostage in the home. And so. that she's about to die. Yeah. So Gloria and her fiance, they kiss goodbye. And Gloria makes her way into the townhome and she went directly upstairs. She was tired. She wanted to go to bed. But right when she opened up the door to her bedroom, she was greeted by a gun. And it was Richard. And he said, 
you know, she starts to freak it out. And he's like, hey, it's okay. Don't be scared. I'm not going to hurt or kill any of you guys. Um, <laughs> any so, of you guys. <laughs> so he had Gloria join the rest of the women in the circle on the floor. So he started joking with them. You know, he was cracking jokes here and there. And he just started to, like, kind of lounge out and just smoke some cigarettes. Um, so they're just kind of playing a waiting game right now. And then he jumps up and he says, all right, let's get this party started. So he starts cutting the sheets off the bed into those long strips again. And one by one, he tied each of the girl's wrists and ankles up. So he was bounding them. And then right when he got to the last two, Cora and Merlita, the doorbell rings. So he stops. He's like, oh. You know, who could it be? So it was fellow nursing student Tammy from 2315. She had walked over. She wanted to see if she could borrow some bread. Um, she wanted to make a sandwich. She was hungry. So Richard grabs Cora and walks her down the stairs with the gun pointed to her head. And he says, answer the door and let her in. So Cora opens the door, but Tammy was gone. So it turns out she got impatient and she went back home. The other girls were actually going to order pizza. She was like, oh, that sounds better. So she went home. But, like, he couldn't have just – I think it would have been too risky if he would have just grabbed her. I think he grabbed – oh, Tammy? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I think he wanted Cora to be like, yeah, come on in. And then he would have been there to right. be like, hmm. Which, God, that would have been – I would have felt horrible. But then the same thing, it's like if she was getting some – maybe, like, at back at the other apartment, they were like, hey, we're making sandwiches or something. They expected her back. Then he would have really been fucked. Oh, yeah, because they would have came looking yeah. for her. Exactly. So – Richard, you know, false alarm, goes back to tying up Cora and Merlita, but he notices a car driving past the townhome very slowly. So Kathy, another nursing student who was with her boyfriend, was stopping by because she was going to drop off something that she had borrowed from one of the girls. However, um, she said that when she noticed the lights are off, she was just like, ah, wait, never mind. I think they're all asleep. I'm just going to drop it off in the morning. No biggie. So that saved her. So now that all the women are tied up, Richard is walking around the room very, like, eerily. He's just, like, kind of examining each of the girls up and down. And then all of a sudden he stops. And he says, you. And he points to Pamela. And he unties her and he drags her into another room. So all the girls are like, what is he doing? Like, what could he be doing? Um, so the other girls were terrified and confused as to, like, what he could be going on. They start freaking out. But they said all that they heard was kind of like a sigh, like a, <sighs> and that was it. Like they didn't hear screaming. They didn't hear fighting. They just heard that sigh that was just like, <sighs> they didn't hear like tumbling or anything no, like that. They said it sounded like almost like she was getting the breath knocked out of her. Just kind of like a, like a mild, like a, <sighs> like exhaustion almost. And this is the room over. Yes. So the girls started to argue. The American girls wanted to stay calm, not fight back, and, like, <laughs> do what, like, they were just like, we just need to do what he says, like, and then the Filipino girls were like, no, we should attack him. There's, like, a lot of us, you know, let's just attack him at once and just fucking destroy him. Let's take him down. So the girls, like, they couldn't come up with a plan, um, so they were just basically um, just kind of playing a waiting game. So going back to Pamela... Richard had stuck a rag in her mouth and he was forcing her spread eagle on the bed when all of a sudden um, two more women entered the home. Okay, I'm sorry. I was laughing because you say American girls and I'm thinking of the dolls. I know. That's um. what I was thinking too. So yeah. Um, so like I said, two Pamela, girls. he's on. she's spread eagle on the bed. Then he's about to rape her when all of a sudden two more girls enter the home. And it's Suzanne and it's Marianne. So they were the last girls home. They had barely made it home before their curfew, which was 1230. They made their way upstairs and went into their bedroom. And it happened to be the one that Pamela was in. Mm. So they immediately see what's going on. And they started screaming. They were like, oh, my God, like screaming bloody murder. So Richard jumps up and blocks the two girls from leaving by like shutting the door and pressing his body against it. And Suzanne and Marianne continue to scream, and they actually start fighting. So, meanwhile, the other hostages hear what's going on, and they're freaking out. First of all, they don't know who entered. They don't know what's going on to Pamela. They're confused as what could be happening, but they're assuming the absolute worst. I have a question about Pamela. Do we know if she had been stabbed or anything at this point? No, she has not been stabbed. She was just spread eagle on the bed. Like, he was going to rape her first. 
Okay. So no one had been hurt at this point. So Richard can't get the girls to stop screaming or fighting back. It's like two against one. So he takes out his knife. This is the first time he takes his knife out. And he stabs Suzanne 18 times. So 11 in the chest and seven in the back. And then he took off her stockings and strangled her with it. So um, he then, so once she was dead, he looked at Marianne, who was kind of like, oh shit and he stabbed her directly in the eyeballs and then he proceeded to take that out and stab her in the chest three times meanwhile forcing pamela to watch the entire thing so after he killed suzanne and marianne he's looking around and he's like well let's just finish this off and he stabs pamela directly in the heart killing her instantly so within three minutes all of these girls had been murdered. 18 times one girl. Yes. Yeah, like, Can you not? Yeah. Yeah. Over and over again. So then Richard cleans the blood off of him, throws away a shirt, puts on a clean new one, washes the blood off of him, and then just returns to the other hostages. If he's in all black, you can't see the blood anyway. Just like the, the moisture, like the wetness, like if there was like any drips or anything, you know? I mean, I'm not typically covered uh, I mean, in I'm sure if you kill, stab somebody 18 times, it's oh. flying everywhere. Yeah. So he, he knew that if they saw blood that they would freak out and just, like, cause a huge scene. So he entered the room where the girls were. He looked around, examined the women again. He was like, hey, relax. That was nothing. She's fine. Your friend's still alive. Don't worry. So then he's looking around the room again, and he goes, you. And he points to Nina. I don't like it when you're pointing at me like that. He points to Nina. So then he drags her into the ro- another room in the house. And again, they hear that faint sigh. So the girls start freaking out. They're like, where's Pamela? Where are all these screams coming from? Where is he taking Nina? What is he doing to her? Who's next? Because he was just going in there one by one by one. So the women decided, hey, let's just hide. Um, so Gloria, who had drank a lot that night, she actually fell asleep and the other girls just decided to hide throughout the room. So Cora, who was the smallest, she was only 98 pounds. She managed to wiggle her tiny little body under the bunk, under the bunk beds to hide, except she could not get her head to fit underneath the bunk. So it was just kind of hanging out, but it was the best she could do. I have a small head, so I'd probably be okay. Yeah. So about 20 minutes later, they heard the water running again. And just before, um, just like before, he came back in to the room where they were shortly after. So right around this time when he enters, a piece of delivery boy showed up out to 2319. And he said he was confused because when he looked into the house, all the lights were off and um, it looked empty. So he was like, I was about to knock on the door, but I realized I was at the wrong house. Um, so right when he was about to knock, he noticed it was 2319. He was supposed to be at 2315. So he was like, shoot, wrong house. And he left. So Richard went into the room where the girls were. He then grabbed Valentina. And shortly after, the girls heard the water again. And he came back to grab Merlita. So he, it was noted that the other girls didn't make much sound besides that sigh. Um, but Merlita apparently put up a huge fight. She was screaming. Um, she was, um, you know, kicking, screaming, fighting, um, and she was even screaming in her native language of Tagalog. Um, it hurts. It hurts. Please stop. And Cora became terrified because she understood what she was saying. Um, so then he comes into the room, looks around, and then he grabs Patri- Patricia, and he looks at her and says, wait, are you the girl in the yellow dress? Mm-mm. She looked at him and she was like, she nodded her head. So he was like really happy and he was like, okay, come with me. So he takes her into another room, screams at her to lay down and he assaults her for 35 minutes. And Cora, who was still under the bed right next to the wall, could hear the whole thing take place. Stop. So at this point, it's about 2.30 in the morning and there's only two women left, Gloria and Cora. So Gloria, who's still asleep, she's like in a drunk out, passed out phase. Mm -hmm. Um, And Cora, who's very well hidden underneath the bunk bed. So Richard bursts into the room and he grabs Gloria. And like I said, she's in like that drunken sleep. She's like confused. And so he wakes her up. And you know how like when you're just kind of like discombobulated and just kind of like waked up. That's up, happened like to me last night. So he wakes her up and she goes, I think I just had a dream about my mother dying. So Richard stripped her clothes off and began uh, assaulting her for 25 minutes. Oh, no. And he said, "Ooh, you've done this before. Ew. And then he took Gloria downstairs and he continued to assault her. So he had sex with her anally. And he also um, put foreign objects in her um, butthole. Saudi. Yeah. 
So then there was one, Cora. So Cora decided to change her hiding place last minute because um, she wanted to hide her head better. So she went to get <sighs> under another bunk bed that had a blanket hanging off of it so that she could help cover herself. Um, so she successfully gets under the bunk bed and she waits. And I want to note, she was still bound at this point. So she's like wobbling to get there, like rocking back and forth to move across this floor because she knew <laughs> any minute he was going to come back in. So Remember, she gets underneath. What? We were talking about that last night. Like how, like, you know, when you were like sneaking out of bed when you were a kid and you weren't supposed to like, and then you like run real fast back to your room. Yeah. <gasps> oh! Yeah. So she's bound and but she makes it underneath the bed successfully. So. At about 3.30 a.m., Richard comes back into the room and he starts digging through Gloria's purse to see if he had missed any change. Mm -hmm. um, when he was done, he threw Gloria's purse on the floor and it almost hit Cora in the face. He examines the room one last time, turns around, turns off the light, and then he leaves. So he forgot about Cora. So he left 23.19 and on his way back home, he threw his knife into the river. Um... So he thought in his head that he was going to get away from this because he had killed all the girls. But little did he know, 98-pound Cora was still hiding and she would report this murder first thing in the morning and bring him down. So in the morning, because Cora stayed hidden just till the sun came up, just to make sure like he was gone. Yeah. She didn't know if he was like passed out on the couch, if he was right. just like hanging out. So she waited until the sun came out. So she walks over to the window and she starts screaming, help, help, anyone, please help me. My friends are all dead. I need your help. Get here now. So one of the nursing students in 2315 heard the screams and woke up the house mom and was like, hey, 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 you need to wake up. You need to wake up. Something bad and something terrible has happened in 2319. I can hear the girls screaming. Go, 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 go. So one of the nursing students, Leona, and the house mom were the first to enter the town home. Um, after inspecting the house, Leona came outside of the house to report back to the students because they were all waiting around to see what mm -hmm. had happened. And she said, quote, nothing can be done. They're all dead. So right around that time, the house mom came running out. My God, all of my girls in 19 have been murdered. All I see is blood and girls. My girls are dead. My girls are dead. They're all dead. So Officer Kelly was the first police officer to the scene. Um, and his wife worked at the South Chicago Community Hospital. He was traumatized because he knew all of the girls in the mm. townhome. And he actually grew up with Gloria because he had actually dated her older sister before marrying his, his then wife. So um, he knew all of them. So did his wife. He said they were just all great, 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 great girls. So the crime scene was very, very, very brutal. Uh, Marianne had been stabbed in the eyes. Nina had superficial wounds all over her neck, and they said it was almost like he was torturing her. Um, she had these, like, tattoo little pricks all over her. Is that the one he thought was so beautiful, or that was Patricia? Um, that was Patricia. So Valentina's throat was slashed so deep that her voice box was exposed. <sighs> Merlita's body was lying on top of Valentina, and her neck was completely dislocated. Ew. Josephine Chan, the head of the nursing department, was rushed over to ID the bodies, but the wounds were so gruesome that she could only make out who three of them were. Um, the next day, Richard is hitting up the bars again. In fact, he stood up on a bar stool, grabbed the bartender, and put a knife up to his neck and said, if I were to kill somebody, this is how I would do it. So that behavior was like super out of the blue, but for the most part, he was just like relaxed because um, he didn't know Cora was still alive, so he thought he was going to get away with all this. So meanwhile, Cora is doing all of these interviews with, with the police. She gets him a good sketch of him. She remembered his tattoo, Born to Raise Hell. Um, she was giving them every single detail possible. It did not take police long to track Richard down because he was hopping from so many bars to bars that people were coming with in contact with him constantly. So Richard got word that the police were after him. So he actually went to his hotel and tried to commit suicide um, he slit his wrist, but when he was almost done or like halfway through, he was like, wait, never mind. I don't want to. So he started banging on his neighbor's wall for them to help him. He was like, help me, help me, help me. So the hotel staff sees him covered in blood. They call an ambulance and he's rushed to the hospital. So the doctor who is examining him was like, I feel like I know this guy or I recognize him from somewhere, someplace, but I can't like quite put my yeah. finger on it. So then it clicked. Sure enough, on the doctor's desk was the newspaper, the Tribune, with Richard Speck's picture front and center on it. They were like, no way. But sure enough, they saw the tattoo that was described in the paper, uh, Born to be Wild. So the Wait, doctor... What? Born to Raise Hell. Or Born to Raise Hell, sorry. 
<laughs> so the doctor walked over to Richard, grabbed like the sensitive part of his neck, and he said, what is your name? And he squeezed Richard like really hard. And he Richard was like, Speck, Speck, Richard Speck, uh, can I get some water, please? I'm really sick. And the doctor looked at him dead in the eye and said, did you give those nurses water? What a little dweeb. So Richard is, of course, arrested. And at his trial, he pled uh, insanity. Cora was faced with a huge decision. So she was being offered hundreds of thousands of dollars for yeah. an exclusive story and in an interview from the American media outlet. Um, and they wanted this um, published before the trial, and they wanted to be the first to release it. Mind you, Cora was like, I could really use this money, considering she was giving half of her salary back to her family in the Philippines. Like, this money could change her life and her well as her family right. in the Philippines. So she was, mm, I don't know what to do. But she refused, and she said she did not want to ruin the trial and the prosecutor's chance at getting justice for her friends. So she declined. In the trial, they asked her to ID the man who killed her friends. She gets up from the witness stand, walks over to Richard Speck, stands about a foot or two away from him, extends her arm out, and points at him. This man right here. So the DA's office actually flew in two of Cora's family members to be with her during this mm -hmm. intense trial. Um, Cora was also suffering from a lot of survival guilt, and she was just completely traumatized by this whole experience. Um, and then it was reported that other girls in the nursing program started to get prank calls from men claiming they wanted to finish them off. And like when the girls would like walk around campus in their uniforms, people would come up to them and say, what's it like being alive, nursey? So That's they were, disgusting. they were like taunting them and just being horrible. Um, so Richard Speck is found guilty and sentenced to death, but he actually ends up dying in prison from, um, a heart attack. Right. So here's the really, really, really weird part. So in prison, he started like this vlog with other inmates. He mm -hmm. somehow got a camera snuggled into the prison. Ew. On this vlog, snuggled, smuggled into oh. the prison. On this vlog, Richard would talk about how much sex he was having in prison. Ew. He and this is with men, obviously. And he said that he wanted to die in prison by being fucked to death by another guy. So in the interview, in the interview, another inmate said. Show me your real titties. And Richard <gasps> lifts up his shirt to show his breast. Now, they look very, very close to women's breasts because Richard was getting hormones smuggled into the prison to take to resemble a woman. He knew that this was his only way of protection because the guys were not going to fight with him or beat him up if he were to supply sex to them. So in this video... He's walking around shirtless. He's doing cocaine. He's drinking. He has like little panties on and everything. Are his titties um, bigger than mine? They're huge. So, so yes. he knew the only way for him to not have a target on his back was to offer sex. So on camera, they ask him, why did you kill those nurses? He said, it just wasn't their night. How did you make them strip? How did I make them strip? I stuck the pistol under their fucking jaw and said, get naked, bitch. Um, so he was considered Queen Bee in prison. In exchange for sex, he would get cocaine, and liquor. Um, he even said in like the little vlog, he was like, if they only knew how much fun I was having, they would turn my ass loose. Oh my God. And, and then also in the vlog, he, the inmate said, do you believe in God? I am God. Do you believe in the devil? I am the devil. So Richard Speck died in 1991, right before his 50th birthday of a heart attack. Harvard actually wanted to study his brain, um, so they packaged his brain um, because, you know, there was a lot of trauma that he was going through uh -huh. there. They just wanted to kind of study the brain and see, like, kind of what went wrong, what went left, what could have happened. But after the box arrived to Harvard, it went missing. Someone stole it. So they, had, so they never received the brain. They still don't know where it is. They don't know who took it, what they did with it, where it Wild. is. Wild. So... Just to wrap this up, Cora is still living in the U.S. She's married to an attorney, and they also started their own real estate firm. She has children, she has grandchildren, and she is loved by so many, and she is considered a hero. I love that. And that is the story of Richard Speck. I'm going to upload all the photos. I don't know if I can upload the titty It's photo. more like the, story, the survival story of Cora. What was her last name? Oof. Reyes or something? Something. I don't remember. But... Um, but I'm going to upload all of the photos. Um, I'm going to post the link to see, so you can see this interview of him and his big titties. Oh, yeah. It is, I've seen it. Oh, I don't know about hilarious, but it is just wild. Because I never thought that this story was going to take a turn like that. 
He's just so wildly disturbed. I mean, you just wonder what they could have found if they were to look at his brain. But, like, mm-hmm. back when, like, you know, the show Mindhunter we were talking about, they have a scene with him in it because back then with the BAU and they were starting up in, what was it, the 70s or the mm-hmm. 80s, they would interview him, you know, and talk to him. Yeah. Because he was, and he's just so fucking weird, dude. That is weirdy. All Jayla. right. Well, that is our story. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Hey, hey, guys. Hey, guys. We are back with another episode of Misery Manor. My name is Cody. My name is Emily. And before we get started, make sure to leave your manners at the door. <laughs>